This is Bucks First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's going on, Team Buck? Mike Slater from San Diego, filling in for Buck again today. Thanks for being here. Uh, so we're going to talk about, in this hour, Biden's uh, <laughs> press conference, I guess. We have plenty of descriptors coming up in a minute here. We'll talk about that. Got some stuff about the uh, the border that he lied about. I don't know. He said we didn't. We haven't changed any policy with the border. You're like, oh, except for these two massive policy changes that we will detail here in just a minute. First, Express VPN. When you go on the interwebs, you're listen. You're the product. We know this. I remember the first time I heard this years ago, and it just clicked. And I know it's clicked for you that when something's free. You're not the client. You're the product. They're selling you. Well, how do they sell you? Well, they got to follow you. They got to track you. And that's what happens when you go on the internet. Everything you do, constantly. we've all been there before. Listen, we've all this. You're having a conversation with someone and you bring up like know, grills or something. You haven't even Googled grills. And all of a sudden you go to the internet and all these ads about grills coming up. You're like, how do they know? Who has your search history? Who knows your viewing habits? What do they do with that information? ExpressVPN, you don't have to worry about any of that anymore. These companies, they can't see your IP address now. Not with ExpressVPN. That's what it's about. It's a piece of cake to use too. ExpressVPN.com slash buck. ExpressVPN.com slash buck for three extra months free. And you can stop handing over your data to big tech, big tech, con, uh, big tech companies and to the government expressvpn.com slash buck right now to learn more. What's going on team buck? Mike Slater here in San Diego, filling in for the great buck Sexton. Thanks for being here. Well, uh, we have uh, TV shows together. Buck and I on the same network on the first and you can follow me on mikeslater.locals.com. We put everything we do on my local show up there and we'll do everything we do here as well. mikeslater.locals.com. So Biden's press conference yesterday went just about how you expect it to go. This is not normal, what you're about to hear. It's not normal, and it's not good. Clip one. So the best way to get something done, if you, if it holds near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to... Anyway. I, I, we're going to get a lot done. And if we have to, if there's complete... Lockdown and chaos is a consequence of the filibuster. Then we'll have to go beyond what I'm talking about. Okay, um, hang on. Uh, sorry. Oh, Sing Man, Miss Kim. So just so you know, you are not allowed to ask any questions about the president's mental health. You're not allowed to ask any question. How dare you ask any questions about the president's cognitive ability, dementia, et cetera, et cetera. So here's how this is going to work. Right now, it's only fringe, far-right activists who are asking these questions. And then soon, it'll be more mainstream conservatives who are going to be asking these questions. And then, uh, oh, but as that's happening, by the way, the, the left and the media will rip these people to shreds. How dare you say anything about the president's mental health? How dare you question his health? You're emboldening the nation's enemies by suggesting he's not well and unfit. How dare you? That's so unpatriotic. You're going to hear the whole thing. And then more moderate conservatives are going to start asking these questions. And then far left activists are going to outflank, the, right, come around on the other flank 
to attack the president and his mental health. And the media is going to do the best they can to hold this off for as long as they can. And then one day, something will happen. And it will be absolutely undeniable. And the Democrats who are really running the show will throw old Joe out to pasture so fast. His key card to the Oval Office, it just won't work one day. Have you ever been fired or you know somebody's been fired and no one told them? And you got your key card to get back in the building and they just, it just doesn't work. That, that's going to be Joe in the Oval Office. No, one even, no one's even going to tell him. And one day, maybe, maybe he'll sneak in one day and Kamala will be sitting behind the desk. I don't know. But Kamala is going to be president and Joe's going to be thrown out to pasture and thrown down the memory hole like it never even happened. So that's how it's going to go. I don't know the timing, but it's going to be far right conspiracy theory, far right hit job and just nothing, 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 nothing. And then boom, gone overnight. And Kamala will fit right in. Here's Chris Wallace. Yeah, I uh, and and I have to say I was also struck uh, by the fact that it seemed on every foreign policy question, not the others, but on foreign policy, he went to his briefing book like Jen Psaki does uh, sometimes in the briefings and was reading, uh, obviously, White House guidance, White House talking points uh, covering Ronald Reagan for six years. I never saw that uh, watching a lot of news conferences over the years. I've never seen that a president in a news conference reading talking points he did that on it seemed every foreign policy so here's an example of that uh strike just striking fear in the hearts of our enemies and you can't tell on the radio but he never looks up from his paper not one time does he look up from his paper here here it is overnight we learned that north korea tested two ballistic missiles what if any actions will you take and what is your red line on north korea let me say that uh number one uh un resolution 1718 was violated by those particular missiles that were tested we're consoling with our allies and partners and uh there will be uh, responses if they choose to escalate. Um, we will respond accordingly. But I'm also prepared uh, um, for some form of diplomacy. Um, but it has to be conditioned upon the end result of denuclearization. So uh, um, that's what we're doing right now, consulting with our allies. Like, what is that? Like, can you believe that? That's, that's, the, that's the commander-in-chief right there. Ronnie Jackson, who is a Republican, he's a congressman. I think he's a congressman or running for congressman. I think he's a congressman from Texas. He was a, a Navy rear admiral, and he was the White House physician from 2013 throughout Obama's term until 2018 under Trump. So he was the, the White House physician. And he said after the press conference, he said, this press brief was embarrassing. Could you imagine what the press would have done if Donald Trump had pulled something like this? Shameful and embarrassing. And it's hard to talk about here because if you do, you immediately will be called out as being partisan and you're so mean and how dare you. And that's fine. I don't care. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. He's 78. You think he's going to last till he's 82? Maybe <laughs> like he won't, but it really just depends. It's all about the media. It depends about the media. How, how much can his people hide him? How much can his people hide him? 
and how much and how long will the media cover for him? That's the question. Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson. This was uh, 1920. So he just spent 1919 negotiating the Treaty of Versailles, the end of World War I. Spent six months doing that. Then he was on this like barn-burning tour to try to get support for the League of Nations. So he traveled by train, and he spoke train station to train station to train station all across the country. This was in 1920. And in between one of his speeches, he got this splitting headache, and his face started to twitch. And his doctor, his chief of staff and everyone on board, uh, you know, it was obvious that he had a stroke. So they called the whole rest of the thing off. They went right back to D.C. as quickly as they could. And his doctor and chief of staff, they kept him in bed away from everybody. He was paralyzed on his left side. He couldn't see out of one of his eyes. He was still president. And they kept him there for a year. No one saw him except for his wife, doctor, and chief of staff. That's it. They pulled this off for a year. Now, this was 1920. Can that same thing be pulled off in 2021? I don't know. But the media covered for Woodrow Wilson, just like the media is covering today. There was one reporter in particular. His name was Louis Seibold, S-E-I-B-O-L-D, Louis Seibold. And he was the reporter at the New York World. And he wrote this article. The headline is, Correspondent in th- this is the, like 1920s voice. Correspondent in three-hour visit finds president's mental vigor unimpaired. Right, same thing with the Washington Post people today. Be like, oh, what a press conference! Wow, that was amazing. He was quick and witty and on it and high energy. You're like, what are you talking about? Executive gains 20 pounds in two months, and he does more work now than before confinement. That was the article. During the three hours, this is Woodrow Wilson, during the three hours I spent with the president, I saw him transact the important functions of his office with his old-time decisiveness, method, and keenness of intellectual appraisement. The correspondent, the reporter, I, heard him dictate his decisions on matters of great governmental importance with with a facility of expression and directness of meaning that indicated no impairment of the efficient mental machine that is known only the hardest kind of work for 40 years. And this is where it goes over the top. It was the same angular face, quite as full in cheek and not the least sunken at the temples. It was the same face registered in a mental picture eight months before. They were unmistakably the Wilson eyes, keen, searching, and snappily intelligent. Okay? The whole article's like that. All of it was made up. Every single word of it was made up. They never met. Woodrow Wilson could not walk. Again, his entire left side was paralyzed. His attention span was about 60 seconds. He was not having hours of conversation. Did not happen. He couldn't sign anything properly. He couldn't move properly. He couldn't do anything. This interview was a total fake. Never happened. Wilson's, uh, Woodrow Wilson's uh, chief of staff made up all the answers. And here's the kicker. Louis Seibold, the writer of that article, won a Pulitzer Prize for it. This wasn't just one, some hack article. And this isn't just a guy who won the Pulitzer Prize. He won a Pulitzer Prize for that. Totally made-up story, protecting Woodrow Wilson for a year as he was paralyzed and in bed. So it's been done before. 
every reporter today covering Biden will try to pull a Lewis Seibold. And as they're doing it, they, they're going to know it's wrong, but they're going to keep doing it. And what's going to motivate them is they think they're going to win a Pulitzer because of it. And who knows? These days, they're probably right. Mike Slater, filling in for Buck Sexton. MikeSlater.locals.com. Spread the word. Hey, what's up, Team Buck? Mike Slater, San Diego, filling in for Buck Sexton. MikeSlater.locals.com. That's my website, MikeSlater.locals.com. Everything's up there. So Biden in the press conference uh, yesterday, he said, we're sending back the vast majority of families that are coming. Vast majority. What does vast majority mean to you? It's not just majority. So majority means 50%. Um, so vast majority. That to me means 78% or more. <laughs> that's, my, that's my number for 80%. Is that vast majority maybe? Maybe I'll give you a 65. Someone says 65% or more. Maybe that's fine. Uh, 13%. In Biden world, that is vast majority, 13%. Axios came back and reported that. Uh, here is the president on uh, the detention centers. I realize it's much more heart-wrenching, and it is, to deal with a five and six and seven-year-old. But you went down there and you saw the vast majority of these children, 70% are 16 years old, 17 years old, and mostly males. Doesn't make, it, doesn't make it good, bad, or indifferent. But the idea that we have tens of thousands of kids in these god-awful facilities that are really little babies crying all night, there's some, that's true. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that is obviously off script. The last segment we talked about him reading off papers, that was not read off a paper. I'm sure his people were not happy about him admitting that they're god-awful facilities. Barack Obama and Joe Biden built the original cages. Trump got rid of the cages. He got rid of the need for cages. And Biden brought them back. Biden said in the presser that nothing has changed regarding border policy and that a surge happens every single solitary year. Those are his words. Nothing has changed regarding border policy. This is just your normal every year spring surge. Not true on both counts. First of all, there were no spring surges under Trump. So it doesn't happen every single year. But more importantly here, there were two policies that Biden changed. Two massive <laughs> uh, policies. And this, what I'm saying here is not a partisan hit. These are absolute facts. Two policies. First, safe third country is what it's technically called. So if you're seeking asylum from Honduras or Brazil or wherever, you seek it in the first safe country that you get to. You don't get to go country shopping. If you're in Brazil and you want to leave Brazil, you don't just get to pick whatever country you want in the world to go to and say, oh, America, and then you're entitled to come to America. That's not how that works. Trump enacted the safe third country policy. So if you're leaving a country, you're safe in the very first one you get to, that's where you stay. And then you can apply to come to America afterwards, but not on asylum. Trump enacted that. He negotiated that with the countries to our South. How did he negotiate it? Money, aid, leverage. Years ago, I remember talking on the radio about foreign aid and I was asking why, I was genuinely asking, why do we give so much money to foreign countries? Why do we give so much money to countries we hate? And the best argument I heard, and I, I just filed it away because it never really came up again until recently. The best argument I heard was that this aid is leverage that we have over other countries, right? You do what we want or else we're going to take away the aid. That happens all the time. This is what Joe Biden did with Ukraine to help his son Hunter. Remember this clip? 
And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had. They were walking out to press conference. Said, "No, nah, I said I'm not going to. We're not going to give you the billion dollars." They said, "You have no authority. You're not the president." The president said, "I said call him." <laughs> I said, "I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars." I said, "You're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here." And I think it was what six hours. I looked. I said, "I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money." Oh, son of a bitch! Right. So do what we want. Or we'll remove the billion dollars in aid. So Biden used it to protect his son in Ukraine. That's leverage. Trump used it to help the American people and stop a surge of illegal immigrants for three plus years. And it should be noted as well, if you look at the last 40 years, Donald Trump was number one, number three, and number 10 in granting asylum requests. Number three, number one, number three, and number 10 in granting legal asylum requests more than any other president and trump used leverage on our foreign using our foreign aid in our southern on the southern countries to have this third safe country agreement and biden got rid of it okay so that's a policy change second trump had a policy that if you apply to come into america you got to wait in mexico and biden got rid of that as well so those are two pretty big policy changes And worse than maybe all that, word spread that if you send your kids across alone, then they'll be allowed to stay. That's why we have over 15,000 unaccompanied kids right now. This is crazy. So Trump got criticized for family separation, right? Mom and a kid, they come across and we separate them. Now, we did that to make sure that family members, these people were actually related and they weren't just kidnapped kids kidnapped kids used as props to get special treatment for the the smugglers right this is the flores agreement have you heard of the flores agreement let me give you the very short of it uh 1985 there was a 15 year old undocumented immigrant girl from el salvador jenny flores and she came over to america illegally she was put in a in a camp or a whatever they call them, a center and her mom later sued saying that she was kept in the same area as adult men and that wasn't safe so this case went all the way up to the supreme court and a decade later our government came up with what's called the Flores Agreement. And among other things, it says children have to be separated from adults because it's not safe to put them together when they're not necessarily related. So we separated kids for the safety of the kids. So America got criticized when we kept adults and kids together. We get criticized when they get separated, but we did it for their own safety. Now, word is spread that if you send your kids across alone, they have a better likelihood of staying. So now the family separation is happening on the other side of the border. Mothers making the heart-wrenching decision to send their 12-year-old daughter across alone. They may never see him again. And we're okay with this? That's the compassionate thing? To allow this, to enable this, to embolden the cartels, to make this, to allow this to happen? And the people who support this are compassionate? Somehow, Drug cartels, kidnapping kids, sending them across the border, often, which we'll talk about in the next hour, ending up in sex slavery, either on this side or this, uh, our side or this side of the border, raped along the way, some dying on the journey. And the people who enable this, they get the credit for being compassionate. Mike Slater.locals.com, filling in for Buck Sexton, spread the word.
What's going on, Team Buck? Mike Slater out of San Diego, filling in for the great Buck Sexton. Thanks for being here. MikeSlater.locals.com is where we hang out and we put everything, TV show, radio show, this show, everything, MikeSlater.locals.com. So last week on my local show, we talked about Evanston, Illinois, 30 minutes north of Chicago. Reparations. They enacted reparations for black families. Every black family gets $25,000 for a home purchase, uh, home improvements, anything related to the home, $25,000. And immediately the activists said, oh, that's wonderful. We are content and grateful. Now, immediately they said, no, that's not enough. So we went from $0 in reparations because it's an insanely absurd idea we went from $0 to $25,000 and boom, immediately, no, oh, it's not enough. Not enough. It'll never be enough. Know that. So that was outside Chicago. Uh, Oakland did not want to be outdone. They have a new guaranteed income program. Uh, it's called a couple different things. Um, universal basic income, guaranteed minimum income, different names for it across our country and in Europe. Same thing though. Uh, but in Oakland, this guaranteed income is for all families of color. No white people. <laughs> you got white, you're white in Oakland? No, 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 you don't get any. Got to be of color, whatever that even means. 500 bucks a month, no strings attached. So they did this in Stockton a couple of years ago, one of the nation's first pilot programs of it, and there was a study done of it. Totally non-biased study. Abs no... No bias whatsoever. And they concluded, again, no bias. Residents who received regular payments experienced less income volatility, secured more full-time employment, were better parents and partners, and even saw improvements in their health and overall well-being. Well, gosh, golly, wouldn't you know it? This is great then. There's no problems at all. Nothing bad happened at all. It was great. You give free, you give you give people free money, and they're happier. And not only happier, but they're better parents, and somehow get more employment for some magical reason that makes no sense at all. How about that one? You give people you give people five hundred bucks a month, and they get more employment. Ah, but it's great. Let's go ahead. That, that's all the study I need to see. So in Oakland. You are uh, eligible for free money if you have a child under 18, make less than $59,000, and then you get you know another six grand a year. And the key with this program is you have to be black. Why? Because white people in Oakland, on average, make three times as much as black households. So that's inequity. And every inequity is racist and needs to be evened out. Now, what if you're a white family who makes $20,000? Nope. That's your, you still have white privilege. If your white family makes $20,000 a year in Oakland, you are not eligible for this program because you're not black. And this is uh, a wonderful way to run a society. Sorry, I'm a little sarcastic this morning. Sarcasm doesn't really come across the radio that well. I apologize. I'll stop with the sarcasm. This is a terrible way to run a society. But I love this. Uh, this is a great line from CBS. CBS totally straight here with this line. Guaranteed income has been a goal of the Black Panther platform since its founding. Oh, goody. 
now I'm convinced if the Black Panthers have been for it, <laughs> that's that's good. Since it's founding, oh good, the Black Panthers in the '60s were for it. Therefore, it's a great idea. Good night. So the left is going to keep pushing for this uh, statewide in California, surely, and then nationwide, absolutely as well. It's just a matter of time. This is what they do. It's what they do. They slowly inch it in. Slowly inch it in, and then people get used to it. And very quickly, you can't imagine life without it. Right? That's it. Right? Right now, like the idea of everyone gets free money, like that's insane. But then, oh, it's just it's just five hundred dollars. It's just some people five hundred dollars, and it's oh well, thousand dollars, thousand dollars. Oh, more people. We need more people. The more everyone gets two thousand dollars, and then years go on, and now. If anyone were to propose getting rid of it or making any amends to it, like like Social Security, for instance, oh, you can't touch it, you can't, right? You can't live life without it. My favorite example of that is the Head Start program. Head Start program. Head Start started in 1965. It was a two-week-long catch-up summer school program to get kids ready for elementary school. Two weeks, few kids of a certain age getting ready for school now it's a 10 billion dollar program and it's all the way down to infants and if you dare suggest we make any amendments to it whatsoever then you hate children that's how it works always and that's how it's going to work with universal guaranteed income as well there's an assemblyman in california who has a bill uh, it's a thousand dollars a month for all low-income families he was gracious enough to include white people on this one at least for now. So that's going to cost a cool $129 billion a year, which just a couple of years ago would have been double the state budget of California, $129 billion. Uh, right now, it's only half the budget, only half. And it's going to be paid for by a new 1% tax on the rich, everybody over $2 million in income. That's it, piece of cake. That's all it takes. And he says, the guy who uh, wrote this bill, he says it's probably not going to pass this year. And here's the, here's the key. But he said his goal is to get people comfortable with the idea. Quote, the initial shock seems to wear off the more people are educated and realize the benefits of having more control over their lives. That's fantastic. If you think free money from the government gives you more control over your life, you're absolutely out of your mind. You've, you've no, you don't think that's going to come with strings attached? They say no strings attached. Hmm. Okay. There are a million economic reasons to be against this. And we'll have plenty of time for that. Let me make the moral argument. Can we make the moral argument against it? Because this is the one that's most overlooked. And I think it's the most foundational, the most important. Work is good. Thomas Sowell would argue that we've removed from the family the dad with the obvious implications of that. And now we've removed the job. Work is good. Work is, dare I say, essential to finding proper meaning in life. And it's not the work itself, necessarily. I'm not saying you should find meaning in, in the work you do. It's meaning in the process of work and the reasons why you do the work. That's the most important thing. Why are you doing the work? Who are you providing for? That's what matters. 
Arthur C. Brooks, he wrote a great book. I definitely recommend it. It's called The Conservative Heart. And he says there's four, it's a, it's a couple of years, maybe eight years old, something like that. And he said there's four institutions of meaning. That's what he calls them, institutions of meaning. He says it's faith, family, community, and meaningful work. Faith, family, community, meaningful work. These are the things that we as individuals need to lean into and we as a society need to encourage. Faith, family, community, and meaningful work. When you take away someone's need to work, when you take away their need to work, they can spiral deeper into depression and uselessness and hopelessness and they lose dignity and they know it. There's a homeless charity in town here called Solutions for Change in San Diego and part of their deal is you're in this program, you wake up early and you get to work. They know it's essential to building someone's dignity back. This is a clip I want to play. This is Jordan Peterson on, uh, of all places, the Dr. Oz show. And they're talking about redistribution of wealth. And Jordan Peterson gets into it a bit. And so I was very attracted to that end of the political spectrum. But as I came to investigate some of the problems I've been discussing more deeply, I started to understand that mere economic rectification was insufficient, that that wasn't the level of analysis that was appropriate for my inquiry anyways translated redistribution of income doesn't work well think about it this way the guaranteed basic income idea it's like well that's predicated on the idea that man lives by bread alone well that isn't Mm -hmm. how it works and i've certainly seen that in my clinical practice i've had clients especially addicts if you gave them money they would die and the reason for that like one guy that i remember in particular i liked him quite a bit he had a bad cocaine problem and uh as long as he was flat broke, he wasn't dead. But as soon as his, he was on disability, as soon as his disability check came in, he was face down in a ditch three days later. So, well, and you think, well, maybe that's a consequence of his overwhelming poverty, et cetera. You could come up with some social reason for the, that path that he took, but it wasn't by any stretch of the imagination that simple. It's like people need purpose more than money, even. People need purpose? more than money even people need purpose more than money even does man live by bread alone we have a major problem in our country of of nihilism lack of meaning lack of purpose and we think throwing money at the problem will make people happy and fix it the problem is much worse than that and throwing money at it will only make it worse i got one more thing to say about this i gotta take a break mike slater.locals.com mike slater filling in for buck sexton spread the word 18 buck Mike Slater in San Diego filling in for Buck Sexton today. MikeSlater.locals.com. Um, we're talking about guaranteed minimum income. Uh, Oakland is the first big city to do this. They just started. It's only for families of color as well, but it's going to grow and it's going to expand. And we got to be prepared with the argument against this because um, it's it's the Democrats are definitely pushing this. And there's a million economic arguments to make against it. And they're all rock solid, but I want to make the moral argument, and that is that meaningful work is important. And it's not necessarily the work itself, although, yes, it's who you're working for. Why are you working? Who are you providing for? Who are you caring for? That's what matters. You take that away from somebody, and they can spiral deeper and darker in denialism and meaninglessness and purposelessness. Jordan Peterson, he says, it isn't the provision of material well-being with ease that allows people to live properly it's purpose and that's a much more difficult problem to solve you just can't throw money at it 
the mere offering of material sustenance to people is not going to solve that problem. He says Dostoevsky knew this 150 years ago. He said, if you gave people everything they wanted, everything they wanted, so all they had to do was eat cakes and busy themselves with the continuation of the species. <laughs> so eat and have sex. The first thing they do is smash it all to hell so that something interesting could happen. Men are made for more than that, more than just money. Peter Cove, he says, work does so much more than provide for our basic needs. Work draws us into the public square and instills in us a sense of personal responsibility. These are the deeper things that are so important to want someone's life and to raising children. It allows people to feel the pride and self-respect that come with supporting their spouses and their children. Again, so it's not the work, although yes, the quality of work, yes, but it's who you're doing it for, who you're providing for, who you're supporting in it. Dostoevsky, he made the point that we're not keys of a piano. We're not just piano keys. Humans are not cogs in some grand economic machine which is how the left looks at humans. That's how the left looks at people. That's how communists looked at people, that we were just tools of the state. We're here for the state. Everything's purpose becomes not to glorify God, but to glorify the state. That's how the, that's how the degression goes. So first, the highest is to glorify God. So we've gotten rid of God. So now what do we do? Well, we glorify ourselves. That's what we've been doing. That's the narcissistic culture that we've been living in for how many decades now? We glorify ourselves. The next degradation of that is you glorify the state there is no humanity there is no god there is no humanity there is no individual there is no family it's all about the government this is why martin luther king jr was against communism people think that martin luther king jr was, was a supporter of communism no no he expressly denounced it i got a quote he says i opposed communism's political totalitarianism in communism, the individual ends up in subjugation to the state. And if man's so-called rights and liberties stand in the way of that end, well, they're swim simply swept aside. A man's liberties of expression, his freedom to vote, his freedom to listen to what news he likes or to choose his books are all restricted. Man becomes hardly more in communism than a depersonalized cog in the turning wheel of the state. Okay, Martin Luther King Jr., the reverend, explicitly denounced communism. And he gave it a shot. He, he read uh, Das Kapital. He read the Communist Manifesto. He read people's writings about those works, and he rejected it all. He said, communism, avowedly secularistic and materialistic, has no place for God. Communism looks at man as, as a one-dimensional one economic creature, and that's it. And that's what the left is today. They, now they, they couch it better. Oh, goodness, they couch it better. Right? The communists, they were flat out about it, right? Like, you don't matter. You're just a wheel in the system, right? Or a cog in the system. Today, they know that that doesn't sell, right? So people today who pitch this, these same communist ideas, they pitch it, oh, but, oh, it's about dignity and it's about helping people and it's about flourishing in life and it's about uh, achieving your dreams, Oh, we can pay this person and then they could go achieve their dreams. They don't have to work. They can go be an artist and reach their full potential. Nah, it's the same old stuff, just better marketing. They couch it, of course, as helping. We're helping our fellow man. 
Uh, they're destroying souls in the process. I want to come back with a story of illegal immigration that no one wants to talk about, no one wants to listen to. Uh, I'm taking a risk here because I'm, I'm this great honor to fill in for Buck Sexton, and I'm going to do something that no one wants to hear. It's really hard to hear, and it's quite a downer on a Friday, I admit. But I don't hear anyone talking about it, and it's essential to understand and get a firm grasp of. And I think once we do, then the people who are at least taking credit for being the compassionate ones, the open border people, they get credit for being compassionate. Uh, maybe they'll start to see the light that they're not. MikeSlater.locals.com. Filling in for Buck Sexton. Spread the word.